Our theme for this month, as we make our way through the uh, book of Philippians, our yearly uh, theme through the book of Philippians, uh, takes us to Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, where the apostle writes, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, uh, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Uh, as you may have noticed in the, in the back, or in, if you're keeping uh, track, that uh, the particular phrase we're going to focus our attention on this month, the Lord willing, is uh, in the middle of that particular reading, let your requests be made known to God. So we're going to spend some time this month, the Lord willing, talking about prayer and the importance of prayer, the place of prayer, uh, and we're looking forward to being able to take from God's word what we can about our obligation and our privilege to speak to our Creator. But before that, I want to consider something that I think prefaces Paul's mentioning of prayer, specifically in this particular context. It presents to us at least one reason why we ought to pray, or at least one value of prayer within this context as well. Um, I like the New Living Translation of Philippians 4.6. The translation says, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He's done. Uh, those words are pretty simple and concise. I don't know that they're maybe as exact a translation as we can get from the, from, from the original words that are there, but in the conciseness of that translation, those words are pretty simple to understand. Uh, and though the words are there easy to understand, it presents to us, I think, one of uh, our greatest challenges uh, to not worry about anything and to pray about everything. I want to take a couple minutes this morning and speak about this aspect of anxiety. It hasn't been too long since we talked about worry and anxiety in our Wednesday evening Bible class as we looked at uh, the book of Luke uh, in Luke chapter 12. But one thing I think we could recognize from the aspect of what the scriptures teach about being anxious about physical things is that this is something that God does not want us to do. It's something that we do do uh, and it's something that as a Christian we have no reason to do. Uh, and that may be one reason why it presents to us such a challenge, because it is so pervasive in the very nature of our society and even our personal lives that we are anxious about things, that for God to tell us, don't be anxious, and then for the text to tell us, don't be anxious about anything, uh, is rather challenging. So I ask you this morning, do you worry about anything? Uh, is it something that, that presents a ch- uh, you know, something that you ought to address in your own life? Uh, if you are a worrier, you might try what one fellow did. He worried so much that he decided that he would hire somebody to do his worrying for him. So he found a fellow who agreed to be his hired worrier, that he would worry about everything, and he'd pay him $200,000 a year to be his worrier. And after the man gladly accepted the job, his first question to the boss was, where are you going to get the $200,000? He said, well, that's your worry, not mine. <laughs> so there... There seems to be that might, we might be a solution to our problem that really is not a solution at all. But we go back to the basic aspect of the use of the term worry or anxiety. What is worry? The Greek wor- verb found in Philippians chapter 4 verse 6 uh, is merimneho, which is used about 19 times in the New Testament. And in the King James Version is translated by four words or phrases. Eleven times is translated by the phrase take thought. Uh, in five translations, it, in, in five instances, it's translated by the English word care, or two by the word careful, or to have care in one place. So you look at the English translation and you realize that this aspect of 
the original word, the basic idea of it is to care about something, to have concern about something. Now, certainly, as we as we look at in term, we're going to look at in terms of the New Testament use of the word. Most of the time, it's used to to identify this aspect of anxiety, what God does not want us to have or not want us to experience. Yet there is a positive side to the word meramneah, and that is this aspect of concern. And I think we have to recognize that when God says and uses this terminology, when he says don't be anxious or he says do not care, that we recognize that God doesn't, isn't saying that we should not care about anything or that there is any way that you and I could ever get through life without caring about something. So it, it helps us to understand that even in the use of the original language in the scriptures, there is a positive use of the original word. It is used to describe concern, particularly the aspect of concern for others. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, in verse 32, Paul says, I want, you to be with, I want you to be without concerns, and there's that word. An unmarried man is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord, but a married man is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife, and he is divided, he says. Paul's giving admonition that in the presence distress they were under, it would be better not to marry. And one of his reasons was because if you're married, you're going to have to be concerned about your wife. Now, being concerned about your wife or being concerned about your spouse is not what God is condemning. And Paul, even in this context, is not saying that it's morally wrong to be concerned about your wife. He's simply saying that's a natural thing. And it might very well get in the way of the spiritual uh, uh, responsibilities that you have in this, under this present situation. Certainly make it harder. So he uses the term concern here to talk about the, the, the word meronea to talk about the aspect of concern. An interesting use of this terminology in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 when Paul was writing about all the difficulties that he had and being a servant of Christ and all the sufferings that he went through. He says in verse 27, he says, In weariness and toil and sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst and fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. And the word concern there uh, is merimnea. You see, it's, this, it's from the same root word in which we get the word in 1 Corinthians chapter, um, I mean, uh, in Philippians chapter 4, the idea here of anxiety and concern. So even in the original language, the two words, the two uh, concepts of anxiety are found that Paul says that it was an affliction or a weakness of his flesh that he had concern for the churches. God wasn't condemning him for that affliction. God was the one who put that affliction, so to speak, on him by putting him in charge of preaching the gospel to these churches. He went on to say in that very context that he gloried in the weakness of his concern for the churches. So we recognize there is a healthy concern, even for others. And to be a spiritual person, we would be, certainly, Concerned about others, whether it be a spiritual concern or even a physical concern. But what we have to recognize from looking at what the scriptures teach us is it's easy for a healthy concern, even for others, to become spiritually unhealthy. It's easy for a feeling of, uh, of anxiousness and care to turn into that which is sinful, that which becomes an affront to our faith. Soren Kierkegaard, the, the Swedish philosopher, said, whoever has learned to be anxious in the right way has learned the ultimate. If we learn to be anxious in the right way, to be concerned about things that we ought to be concerned about and to recognize the difference between a healthy concern, a spiritual concern for others, or for even for other things, and a sinful worrying or anxiety. And what we recognize about the use of the term is that most often in the New Testament, the word here, 
is not positive, but rather it's used in a negative way. And every time Jesus uses the term worry or anxiety or concern, however it might be translated in different translations, and every time Jesus uses that term, it's something that he's arguing against or it's something that he's telling individuals they need to avoid or he presents it as an obstacle to drawing closer to God. Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. Luke chapter 10 verse 41. The English term worry comes from an old German word meaning to strangle or choke. So if you're a worrier, understanding you're choking probably yourself over the things of life. And that's exactly what worry does. But I want us to take a closer look at Paul's admonition, this aspect of to be at be anxious for nothing, understanding the difference and the distinction between good worry, good anxiety, so to speak, and bad anxiety or concern. What I think we would have to begin to look at in terms of whether or not we're experiencing one or the other is what do we worry about? What is the foundation of our anxiety? Well, you know, I only really worry about the very important things of life, those things that are most pressing, that I only worry about those things that are most important. Right, sure, that's all we worry about, just the most important things. Well, there's a sense in which we do tend to recognize that some issues are more worthy of our anxiety than others. We might see something, well, that's not worth worrying about. Or we might tell somebody, how could you not worry about that? That's too important not to worry about. Or it doesn't really matter, therefore it's not worth worrying about. So we make those distinctions about this aspect of what seems to be worthy of our worry or what would make us anxious almost in a natural connotation. But Paul says here, don't worry about anything. Now when he says don't worry about anything, you see, he takes us out of the the venue of being able to distinguish good or bad anxiety, so to speak, by looking at just what we worry about, that this particular thing is so pressing that I must worry about it when God says don't worry about anything. It's fascinating to look at Matthew chapter 6 because this is Jesus' most extensive teaching on the subject and the issue of anxiety. And we looked at this some when we were looking at the, uh, the comparative uh, uh, account of this in Luke chapter 12. But Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 starts out with these words. He says, therefore I say to you, uh, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And so Jesus' discussion about anxiety, he says, do not worry about your life. The word life there is suke, which is the more general terminology that aspects the aspect of physical life. What commentators tell, about the, tell us about the use of this terminology is that most of the time it has to do with this aspect of the physical existence that we have. Or that many times though it's used to talk about our physical well-being from the very smallest fundamental to the very most extensive element of life. So that what he's talking about here you see is life in its fullest sense. Do not worry about any of your life. That the physical existence that you have and all the things that pertain to the needs of physical life do not present to you a reason to worry. That there is no justification for worry about your life. And then Jesus chooses some pretty pressing important issues to discuss, to describe what he means by life. When he says, don't worry about your life, he says, you know, what you eat, what you drink, and what you put on. Now that's starting pretty fundamentally, isn't it? I mean, when he says to not worry about what we're eating or what we're going to wear or aspect, you see, what we're going to drink, the physical things that are necessary for life, certainly Jesus is bringing it down to the fundamentals here. 
And I believe that's exactly why Jesus mentions it here. Why he doesn't leave it at just don't worry about your life. That he mentions specifically don't worry about what you eat or drink or what you wear. Now he's going to go on and use those as illustrations as to why anxiety is foolishness. But the idea here is that these things are absolutely necessary for life. They are at the very basis of life. And yet they are the very reason why you shouldn't worry is because God provides life. And so that brings us to somewhat of our next observation about this. And Jesus' Uh, I think, argument against anxiety. And as the context in which Matthew chapter 6 is found. The New American Standard translation of verse 25 begins with these words. He says that Jesus begins with the word, For this reason, I say, do not worry about your life. And that's an interesting connotation to the, uh, to, to the beginning, of that, this beginning of this particular section. That Jesus calls on us to not worry about our life because God provides for everything concerning life. And when he says for this reason, he's pointing back to what he's just been discussing in verse 24, where Jesus declared that the Christian has only one master, that he cannot serve God and money at the same time, that he will love the one and hate the other, that you must choose. Will you serve money or will you serve God? Now in that context, what Jesus is teaching against, what he's describing as the problem here is covetousness that our inordinate desire for things, you see, is what causes a great problem. And what, what, what comes from that, or what is in that very context, you see, is the parable of the rich fool. Parable of the rich fool. You remember this fellow that Jesus told us about? He had a good year. Things went really well. The stock went up. His crops were good. And so he had all this stuff that he didn't know what to do with. I have more stuff than I can put in my barns. What will I do? It's the, the aspect there in verse 17. He says, he thought within himself saying, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? He's worried about what he's going to do with all his stuff. And he might say, well, that's a good worry to have. If you're going to have a worry, you got too much stuff. But he's worried about because he's got too much stuff. What am I going to do? He said, well, I'll build bigger barns. And I'll be able to put all my stuff in my barns. And I'll say, sit back and relax. You got it made. This is no problem. You don't have any worries now because you got all this stuff. And of course, the end of that parable is the real biting lesson. The Lord speaks to him and says, this night your soul's required of you. What's going to happen to all this stuff now that you're gone? Because you've been called to judgment. Jesus then turned to his disciples after telling this parable about a fellow who had too much and worried about it, he turns to his disciples and makes a personal application to the parable to them, I believe. They might, they might never, and I suggest that they didn't, ever have to worry about having too much stuff. But would they have to worry about stuff at all? Would they be tempted to worry about having too little stuff or putting too much emphasis on their stuff? And certainly the answer to that is yes. So you and I may never have the rich fool's dilemma, but we can certainly have his heart. We might not have his specific problem. But you see, we can be anxious, just like he was anxious. And anxiety fits into the discussion about covetousness because we can certainly have his demon, and his demon is our demon, even though we don't have the stuff. And we worry about different things. So I want to suggest to you that as we look at this, that the parable, that the aspect of anxiety as it's addressed in the New Testament, it revolves around how we view the things in our life. That Jesus would present to us two contrasting principles of a person's perspective on the things that he has in his life. 
In Luke chapter 12, verse 19, the rich man says, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take ease, eat and drink and be merry. I've got it made. I don't have any worries. The other side of that is Jesus' statement, life is more than food and body is more than clothing. That even if you get to the point where you have all that you seem to need to be able to supply the physical needs, life is more than that. Jesus is telling us that we worry too much because we're too attached to the things of the world. But our attachment to the things of the world is what generates the anxiety. We'll talk about that more in just a minute. But we also recognize that one of the contrasts here is that the issue of anxiety revolves around how we see God's activity in our life. Not only are we anxious because we fail to recognize that life is not about things, but we're also anxious because we fail to see that God is the one who is in control of all of this. And that's what the rich man's problem was. His solution to his problem is, I will do this. I will build my barns and I will make them greater. I will store all my goods and my crops. And Jesus says, so is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. He sees this as all that what he is doing and he's focused on his, you see, work. Whereas when Jesus gets around to talking about anxiety, he says, your father knows that you need these things. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. So that's a totally different perspective from the standpoint of who is in charge and what's being done in my life or what my life is all about. Is it about what I can gain for myself? Is it about the things that I can get for myself? Jesus is telling us that overcoming anxiety comes when we become confident in God's provision. When we relinquish, you see, the control of our own life or the sovereignty over our own life, at least in our perspective on that, and we allow God to provide for us. To be anxious is to exhibit a lack of trust in God. To be anxious is to exhibit a lack of faithfulness to His words. And so it comes down to some extent, as we put it in the context that is placed in Matthew chapter 6, is that we have to ask ourselves the question, do we really believe that God will provide for our needs? And that may be a very fundamental and first question when we begin to try to address this aspect of whether or not we have good anxiety or bad anxiety. Is my concern rooted in the fact that God will not take care of me or that I must take care of myself or that God's not in the picture? And so we might ask the question of what anxiety reveals about ourselves. One author said that the fight against our anxiety, uh, that in our fight against anxiety, we must turn the sword of the Spirit inwardly on ourselves. And I found that to be a rather insightful observation about this aspect of the use of the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit. That there are times when the, when the sword has to be turned inward and we have to allow the Word of God to open us up to show us who we really are. That it has the ability to, to set asunder even between the soul and the spirit of man. That it can look inward and tell us who we really are. And the real enemy that we face is in our own hearts when it comes to this aspect of anxiety. We have to allow the word of God to pierce through even to the innermost thoughts and, and intentions and aspects of who we are. It seems apparent, I think, that in many regards the sin of anxiety is much more serious than we might suspect. Not because you see... It just gives us a bad feeling, but because it goes deeper than that. And so I asked the question, what is the value of worry-free living? If you got to the point where you didn't have any anxiety or it wasn't a problem for you, that you had the physical things of life that you really needed, would that be the answer? And if we got to that point, what, where would we be and for what reason would we be there? You know, when people talk about anxiety and they talk about worry, and you go and you maybe you read 
this particular article or these particular religious people talk about how we need to be we need to live worry free lives we need to not be anxious that the answer as to the value of that many times is that if you're if you're an anxious person you're forfeiting the peace of mind that God provides for you that we have a peace that God wants us to have inwardly and God wants us to experience peace and therefore anxiety and worry is contradictory to that. And so sometimes the answer is given that the real value of living a worry-free life is that you would feel good about yourself. You'd feel good about your life. You wouldn't be anxious or stressful all the time. Or we might say that, well, you know, anxiety is really bad because it's simply a waste of time. And I want to suggest to you that Jesus does touch on both of those issues. That Paul in Philippians chapter 4 specifically talks about the peace that passes understanding. And the Lord willing, we're going to talk about that and I look at the contents of this passage. That anxiety is contradictory to inward peace. And Jesus says that anxiety is a waste of time, that you can't add a statue one hour to your life. You can't add anything to your life by worrying about it. It doesn't accomplish anything, so it's a waste of time. But is that all that's involved. You know, a couple of things that have many times are said about worrying. One author said, worrying is a waste of time. It doesn't change anything. It just messes with your mind and steals your happiness. That's true? Well, sure. Worry is like sitting in a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it doesn't get you anywhere. I like rocking chairs, but you don't accomplish much in one. So worrying is like that. But is that all? Well, I want, to see, I want us to see that there is a deeper, more compelling answer to why worrying matters to the Christian, why it's a problem for us in our life, and why we ought to seriously address it. It's not so much about how it makes us feel, because all these things are true about anxiety. It does make us feel bad to be stressful all the time and to worry all the time. But what the Bible approaches in the aspect of anxiety is that it ought to be an issue for the Christian because it reveals something about our heart. It reveals something about our true purpose of life and whether or not we connect with the spiritual perspective on the life that we're living. And that's why Jesus connects anxiety to covetousness. He's telling us that our minds are anxious because our lives are too attached to the things of this world. And to worry, to be anxious about those things gives credence to that very perspective about life. There's a whole bunch of people out there that think life is about making more money. That think life is about getting ahead and getting a good education and all everything going your way. And they sit around and worry about that. And when we step in and we worry about those very same things, we give credence to that perspective about life which is absolutely false. That's why Jesus says it's not about things. Life is more than that. So worry is uncomfortable and useless. But it's uncomfortable and useless to the believer as well as to the unbeliever. Or maybe I should say it the other way. To the unbeliever as well as the believer. You know the fellow out there that doesn't know about God? He worries. He's anxious. He has concerns about the physical things of life. Why? Because you see that's what his life is all about. And that worry is uncomfortable to him. Now if his view of life is correct, then he needs to worry. Doesn't he? If he's right about what life is all about, anxiety is a natural fruit of that and he needs to worry about. That's all he has. If it's gone, it's gone. But the Christian, not only, you see, is he told to worry, uh, told not to worry as a command, but he's given that particular command as a reference to his perspective on life itself. He doesn't have any reason to be anxious about life. Not a single reason to be anxious about his physical life. 
So when a Christian seeks to live a worry-free life, he's seeking to bring glory to God who created him and sustains him by accepting and giving validation to the perspective of life that's real as God has presented it. I read an article recently entitled, What's Next When You Don't Have to Worry About Money Anymore? And the title of the article came up and I thought, oh, this, I guess it's got to be good. I've never been there before. <laughs> What's next when you don't have to worry about money anymore? And I thought the author might have some insight on how to get rid of anxiety. So I read the whole article. Turns out he was not writing from a spiritual perspective at all, that he was an entrepreneur who had learned in his life to be able to uh, get ahead. And he'd come to a point in his life where he'd had enough diverse investments uh, that he had enough things going right in his life that he felt absolutely sure that he had nothing else to worry about. Uh, he says the one thing that secures the fact that we, talking about he and his fiance, are financially secure is that we both know how to manage our spending. Once the habits are in place, they become part of your life. I've been living below within my or below or within my means for over five years now. That's now who I am. So the truth is, I don't have to worry about money anymore. I don't even have to. I don't have need any more jobs. I just did some predictions of my income this year based on January and February. I'm on a track for a forty to $50,000 a year salary, which means there will be a bunch left over for growing my investments. And so he goes on to say that he's pretty much free of the worry aspect about money. But the perspective of the article that intrigued me is that he didn't know what to do now. I, I, everything, Every decision I've made in my life has been based upon getting money and securing money and having money and making sure I had enough money and worrying about whether I didn't have enough money and now I'm to the place where I have all the money that I need. What am I going to do? I thought, uh, you ever read the parable in Luke 12? I got everything. And he felt like, not in desperation, that this was a good place to be. From some perspective, it provided for him all these different options that he could go out and find all these different things to do in his life. And as I thought about that, I thought, well, there are a couple problems with that. One is, every place you go, and he mentioned about getting a new job and investing in this, uh, every place you go, it all revolves around the very same perspective that you're trying to get break away from, that you're so happy that you broke away from, and that is the anxious about physical things of life. So if you get a new job, it'll be about money. If you invest in this, it'll be about money. If you do this or that, it'll be about the physical things of life. Even if you turn your attention on the aspect of your family and going to spend more time with the kids and the grandkids, it's about this life. It's about something that sooner or later will no longer exist. It'll be swept away. The proverb writer in Proverbs chapter 23 says, Will you set your eyes on that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away like an eagle towards the heavens. See, he was wrong about the fact that he could stay in any one place and saying, I've got it made. I don't have to worry about money anymore. There's no such place in this planet. Because riches can be gone in a moment. And there you're right back where you started from. So he might worry more if he knew more about his own money. He might be more anxious about it. His lack of anxiety doesn't come from reality. It comes from a false perception of reality. And that's where ours comes from too. It doesn't come from a reality. You don't get rid of anxiety by getting more money. You don't get rid of worry by trying to satisfy the physical things that are you're worried about. The only way you can get rid of anxiety is to accept the reality of God's perspective on the purpose of life. To get rid of our attachment to the physical things and place our attachment on things that are spiritual. And that's where Paul goes in the passage. That's where Jesus goes in the passage as well that deal with anxiety. It is this aspect of putting 
things in the proper perspective. So when we think about this idea of being able to overcome anxiety, there is a deeper and more compelling reason. And I would suggest to you that we have to overcome anxiety for God's sake, not for our own. We look closely at Jesus' argument against worry. They're rooted in God alone. It's not just a quest for mental peace. It's not just that God wants me to be comfortable within my mind, and certainly He does. But it's a it's an argument against anxiety for the sake of God's work and the sake of God's character. That it's about Him. When I tell others that I'm living a worry-free life, and I tell it from the perspective of the Christian, that gives glory to God Himself because He's made it possible for me to live that way and to perceive that way about my own life. God is sovereign. He owns all things, controls all things. In Him all things consist... David proclaimed the earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. Everything belongs to God. Nothing belongs to me. What I got to be worried about, it doesn't belong to me. I'm not in control of it. God provides. And Jesus references the provision of God the Creator in His arguments in Matthew chapter 6 from the lesser to the greater, from the aspect that God takes care of the very lesser creatures of His creation, the birds of the air, the lilies of the field. He takes care of them. And that confirms to me that God is concerned. You know, we sang a uh, song a few moments ago. It it kind of jumped out at me at the pages we were singing the words because I knew what I was going to talk about this morning. Sweet hour of prayer. I think it's 73. Look back at that second verse. In that second verse, he says, it says in that song, that we are those who are anxious in spirit waiting for the coming of God. And then it says that we are cast all of our care upon him. So we do care, don't we? We care about the fact that God's going to come. We care about spiritual things. We're described in the song as those who are anxious for the coming of God. Yet what do we do in our lives? We cast all of our care upon him. That's that other kind of care. That's that other kind of concern. Because we recognize that God is providing for us. A child who lives under the care of his parents lives without concerns or worries that might later on come in adulthood because the child is secure in the knowledge that the father knows what is best. The mother will provide. And so Jesus presents God as our father in this context because it fits very well to the concept, the proper real concept of who God is. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Later on in Philippians chapter 4, Paul says, God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. God is providing. God sees and knows. Verse 32. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. That's a pretty comforting thought, isn't it? God knows everything that we need. I don't know everything I need. Diane keeps up with me pretty well, but she doesn't know everything I need. The only one who knows everything I need is God. He knows everything I need. And some of the things He knows that I need are things that I don't want. And some of the things I want, he knows that I don't need. But he's my father, and he will care for me. So again, God is referred to as the father here, and his comprehensive activity in my life is the reason why Jesus says I don't need to be anxious. And to not be anxious validates that I believe that God is the one who sees and knows everything. When I hedge on that, when I back away from that, when any way I believe that I know more than God or I put some other authority above God, then that produces the very environment for anxiety and anxiousness to grow. But then finally, one of the perceptions of the overcoming anxiety for God's sake is that God is reigning. 
And again, Matthew chapter 6 brings this out. In the last part of this exhortation, he says, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Right in the middle of this context to talk about whether or not I should worry, Jesus brings up the kingdom. Places it right in the context. The presupposition is that God is reigning in His kingdom at the time at which Jesus is speaking, and His work is more important, and that He will keep His promises. That's what Jesus is saying here, at least I think to a great extent, when He tells us to seek God and His kingdom first. He's not just talking about necessarily prioritizing things and putting church above everything else. But he's telling me here that on the whole perspective of what life is all about, this is what's going on. It's not just about me. It's not just about this life. It's not just about whether or not these physical things get met. God is at work. He's reigning in His kingdom. And the spiritual work of God is the reality of what's going on. No matter what happens in the kingdoms of men, the kingdom of God remains. No matter what happens in the politics around us, in the, in the society that we live in, in the social conditions of our day, God's kingdom continues to exist. And God's kingdom continues, you see, to go on. So knowing that God's spiritual work in making sinners righteous is what's really important about that, I can commit myself entirely to that without anxiety. I can seek first the kingdom of God, His righteousness, and God will do what? All these other things will be added. You see? These things really are not what life is all about. But Jesus doesn't leave us hanging. This is what life is all about. It's about the kingdom of God. So there it is. There's a better reason to overcome the anxiety of your life about making money than just feeling good about yourself or having less stress in your life. A better calling than just how I feel. A calling that says, this is who I am. This is what I'm about. And he's promised that if I will seek him first, he will see to it that I don't have to waste my time working for things that don't matter. I don't have to waste my time worrying about things that don't matter. I can be free from fear and dread and anxiety that cripple people's lives. Living worry-free is a sign that we've accepted the higher calling in life. Living a worry-free life, as God perspects it, is, is, is clear evidence that we are seeking the eternal things of God. Well, how do I confront the anxiety I experience well that's for another lesson the Lord willing we'll look at that next week are there any solutions Paul says yes he says don't worry about anything and pray about everything so we'll talk about prayer 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 7 one last verse we talked earlier about the use of the word and it says here casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. The New American Standard Version says, casting your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. But it's the same word for cares and for care. God's not going to worry about anything, does he? But he is concerned about you. That's that good stuff. What he wants to do is you take all that bad anxiety and you get rid of it by recognizing that God cares for you. You cast your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. The answer to anxiety is not to get enough stuff. It's not even to get rid of stuff. But it's to pray to God and let him take care of the stuff. That's the true solution to our anxiety. Thank you for your attention this morning. Will the Lord willing